And I'm joined by Peter Barrow, Chicago here. Chris Smale, same from Chicago. Brian Holdren. Awesome. And today we just watched and we're about to discuss The Magnificent Seven. It was from 1960 and directed by John Sturge. Did I pronounce that correctly? Sturge, probably. Gotcha. Um, so, general premise of this movie this is your classic Western. It's about kind of a ragtag group of. Uh, men that get together to help protect a a small peasant village uh, just south of the border in Mexico against their, for Bandidos. lack of a better word, bad hombre. <laughs> <laughs> bad hombres. <laughs> Banditos. Banditos. Yeah. So I guess to just throw it out there. What was um, your guys' initial thoughts? I thought it was great, man. No, I mean I've seen the Dollars trilogy and it's it's very similar, in the same sort of style and all that stuff. Yeah, I haven't watched too many westerns, but I did like all of the. It had like what seemed to be required of the western: the the good music, and then like the stoic mm-hmm. characters, and maybe the treatment of women might have been a little westernish. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Definitely yeah, stuck in the sixties. Yeah, <laughs> it didn't pass the Bechdel test, but I mean, <laughs> at least there was like one female speaking part who had more than two sentences. <laughs> so that's better uh, than some movies. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> right. So, Peter, did you have any thoughts? Mm. Uh, for 1960, and I reach back to being a little kid in those times, that was so typical of Alamo sort of setups where you had vast outnumber of bad guys to good, and somehow the good guys survive it and get a lot of attention later in history for taking on the ridiculous. You know, the Alamo's still lauded when it might have been a foolish mistake, but... Yeah, I mean, in this particular setup, part of why they they won is they kind of, they surprised them, they outwit them, they they ransacked the, the village when everyone was sleeping. So I guess there was kind of wits that were playing into it. Both but, si- I think both sides were kind of witty, right? Because mm-hmm. the... the Outlaws tricked them when they were out, and so there's a little little cat and mouse. They weren't. I wouldn't say they were like not one-sided, stereotypical yeah. bad guys. They at least had some depth. Definitely interesting how they were like. It was definitely more of a protection racket. Like, well, yeah. like you give us the food, and yeah. we won't kill you guys. And they're like trying to convince the good guys, hey, don't mess with, don't mess with us, and don't mess with this village. It's not worth it. But I guess the good guys figured. Uh, anything's worth it for these little guys that need everything. Well, they he thought they were like them, right? So there, there was a lot of comparisons, I think, between the, the Banditos and the Magnificent Seven. It's like, you're just hired guns, you know, you would do the same in our situations. Why don't you go north and rob banks in Texas or whatever it was. But So I think the, the defining moment was when they were all on that ridge and decided, okay, we'll, we'll turn around and go back. Yeah, yeah. 
I was going to say, this movie seems to have a lot of running commentary on different, um, I guess, life choices. Like, mm. uh, you know, when the little boys are like, our fathers are cowards, and uh, the, the guy, the one, one cowboy said, no, they're not cowards, they chose a life of responsibility. And right. it kind of seemed like mm -hmm. there were pros and cons to both lives, and there was kind of a lot of running commentary throughout on which was better or not. Well, and the the young kid who, at the start of the movie, wanted to be, you know, known for his gun, ended up staying. So I think he's supposed to be the whatever. Oh, I guess surrogate. Yeah. He's definitely the youngest of the cast. He was like, I looked it up. He was only like twenty seven at the time. Hmm. And he was actually German, but he pulled off a pretty convincing right, right. accent. I was a little frustrated when the the. So the, the town, the village girl that, I think her name was Petra, but um, they, when she was talking to him and he was like, oh, I can't stay here in Chef Corn, I kind of almost wanted her to say, well, I don't want to stay here either. I want to go with you. <laughs> but, you know. I think you might have been expecting too much from the 1960s. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe the 1970s or 80s will have something different to say about that. Well, I guess, well, since we're talking about the 60s, how do you think this film was... Uh, a representation of that era. Well, honestly, think of it. I'd say that since it's from 1960, I'd say it's more of a representation of the 50s since it's, it comes out right after the 50s. Because yeah. mm -hmm. it's... I found usually it takes a few years for the previous decade to wear off before the new decade can still get in. Like, there were still plenty of 80s and early 90s, still plenty mm -hmm. of 90s and early 2000s. 2010s and the 2000s are a little weird there because it's pretty much the, sort of the same thing, but you get the picture. So then how would you say this is a representation of the, you know, late 1950s? Maybe even the last gasp of 50s old style, um, where they're, they're such heroes and magnificent men, they can stand up 40. And I'm also, uh, Gary Cooper, high noon, one of the first, he's going to stay in town, and somehow one guy, Gary Cooper, destroys 20 or 30 marauders that are pesting, pestering the town. When he could have left, but I think he gets gunned down in the end, but all good citizens admired Harry Cooper for staying high noon. It was a big test. Um, you know, would it work box office-wise? Was it plausible? No, it wasn't. You know, one guy and all those people. So... They do actually reference directly, this is uh, uh, Seven Samurai. Yeah. But definitely melding some of the early Western stuff into that. Uh, yeah, I mentioned a while ago, this, this sort of, that area of Japanese history and the yeah. American Midwest sort of lend each other, where it's like sporadic cities where there is law, but then you got all this wilderness where there is no law and just scattered villages. Mm. And they have to, they suffer from bandits and, yeah. and they have to get the help of just random people. It's kind of interesting how similar they are. It's kind of, yeah, it's kind of almost difficult to imagine something like this happening today. Definitely. Because every, everything right. is so interconnected, and you don't have to travel miles to, <laughs> to seek help from someone. Well, I think a lot of later Westerns kind of have that point of view, where, like, the West is becoming civilized, and they're getting pushed out, their lifestyle is not needed anymore. This is clearly not that, but this is on the, on the front end. Yeah, mm. sort of like Red Dead Redemption, where it's like early 1900s, and it's like killing off the old banditos, because their time is outdated. So, 
I like that not all of them survived. Yeah, I thought there was sort of a representation of like the difference from the fifties because in the fifties you'd probably yeah. get the movies where like all hero comes in, saves the day, all the good guys <laughs> live. Here it's like four out of the seven get shot down, yeah. and uh, and it's 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 sad to see them go because you do like them and. I've, I never, I hadn't looked it up, I didn't know how this would go, and I had a suspicion that not everybody would make it up, and I was, I was sad to see them gone. When, when you have three cute kids offering to put flowers on your grave, that's uh, never good from, that, a, from sort of a, a, that is a movie sort of a point death, of view. This is that is sort right of a death now. sentence. <laughs> but, but they did kind of pull a trick with a Chekhov's knife, if you will, right? Like, yeah. he never knifed anyone. Yeah. And so you're waiting for it and waiting for it, and at the end, I guess it was a little bit, it was like a sad, like, him dying. Managed to knife a brick. Yes. That was all he got. That's all he got out. His, his dying. Yeah. He he died as he lived, throwing knives. <laughs> may, may he rest. <laughs> Many of these players I got to see later in TV. Some got their own shows. Um, and Bronson was one of them. Uh, whatever his name is. Charles Bronson. Yes, Charles Bronson. Mm-hmm. He um, gets to do in the 70s what he did in this and he becomes people call it for what it is horse homicidal <laughs> because his wife is killed so he goes on a rampage in the New York subway oh, yeah, uh, and he shoots through newspaper and he yeah he he tricks the villain so here it comes again one man takes on the whole subway car banditos um, Bronson kept that that um, style through most of his career. He didn't do comedy and he's a very strong, silent type of guy. So he played out, this was probably his first role to do that and he got 40 years out of it or 30 years out of it. And we got that uh, other young guy with the vest or the pants. Um, the young German guy or Steve McQueen? Steve McQueen. Yeah, of course, Steve McQueen. Yeah, tremendous, thank yeah. you. He, he really he got second to um, Yul Brenner in this, and second he went one. on to do some tremendous work. Mm-hmm. Usually, being a cocky California kid. Oh uh, yeah, and speaking of Yul Brenner, he has a commanding presence. His his eyes oh, just yeah. you can't help but be entranced because he's he just he stands tall. He just when you see him, you just he is the center of the room. He is the definitive leader, and you will not question him. I thought, speaking of his eyes, it was also weird that he often would address people that he didn't like or, or just his style would not look at them. So the kid in the bar scene, even when he's talking to uh, the head bandit at the end, he's, he's, he's always looking around elsewhere and not like, acknowledging. Oh. I don't know. I just, re- yeah, I just realized that. That is pretty interesting. So, so I guess if we quickly run down who's actually in the Magnificent Seven, Seven. So we have our ringleader, and he's kind of like our man in black, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, that's something yeah. else. With, with the slow-mo cowboy walk. Yeah, and then we have um, the shotgun guy, his like second-in-command. Mm-hmm. Um, and then they picked up the, the younger guy who just, you know, wants to join no matter what. Um, then we have <laughs> the guy who was actually half Mexican, half Irish, and he was the one that had the huge foreshadowing. Yep. <laughs> we'll put flowers Oops. on your grave. Um, the guy who was like really obsessed with gold and diamonds. Right. I was really and confused. Like, was he trying uh-huh. to trick? No, he he, to... the only reason he took the job was he thought uh, there was riches. And he was chasing riches. Yeah. He was tra- I, I, oh, I, I guess that's what he was doing. He was trying to convince himself that there was riches. Like, there's gold in there, right? And it's like, yeah, yeah, you're right. There's gold in there. Yeah. He's 
trying to help mm-hmm. himself. Yeah, and then we had the guy who was the fast with the knife, the quick draw with the knife. And then, mm-hmm. wait, am I missing something? The rich guy with the bow tie. Oh, the yeah. Night the, terrors. The most, the most dramatic death scene yes. ever. The guy who got, I think, got like three shots in the whole movie. And hey, got him, he got him on target. And he freed, right. freed the, freed the, well, the guys in white. It was, it was a good thing that they were color-coordinated. The peasants were in white <laughs> and the bad guys were in uh, regular clothes. Well, you have to make split decisions on who to shoot. <laughs> don't shoot the guys in white. That's, that's the international sign of don't shoot me. I wear white. Uh-huh. Um, so I guess my question Watch to you out. guys did you have like a favorite of the seven I definitely liked uh, Yul Brunner's character I think his name was Chris which is my name so of mm. course I liked him but still <laughs> he's just such a cool dude oh. I could I was, oh, I, I would totally listen to him if he was the leader yeah. or something um, the cool Marlboro man there, he just wouldn't even lift his head it's James Colburn and James Colburn the leader got a Goldfinger type of series going on where he was or whatever, you know that guy Sean Connery mm-hmm. so you take off the cowboy hat but you put on a suit and he was even more cool because he'd wear really thin ties and didn't care who he offed you know, he'd kill somebody but it, I'm not sure if he was yeah, he was a good guy just trying to lead a life and people, people wouldn't leave him alone you know, they'd call him because he was a detective or something. So I like Colburn. He was the epitome of cool. This guy was he cooler was the one than with the knife, James right? Dean with the knife. Yeah. yeah. I liked how he would just take naps all the time. Yeah, <laughs> I know. <laughs> He's so I nonchalant about everything. Mm-hmm. I love how he played. Yeah. That was his plan to capture one of the bandits alive. Is like, I know they're going to come back. They're horses here. I'm going to sit down now. And, and just take a nap. Play and then the, the young guy messed it up by like, yeah. hiding in plain sight. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I guess I'll still vote for a dramatic death scene because that really was dramatic. Really? You want you liked? <laughs> I just liked his dramatic death scene. That's mainly it. Oh, <laughs> the guy who was in the who was really Suit. dressed up. Yeah. yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Got it. And then, so I guess, kind of while we're talking about this. Um, what did you think of like the sets and the the filming location? Oh, and the very nice. It definitely, yeah. I totally bought it as like a little Mexican town. Don't know why they all had accent. Oh, they all spoke American English though. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe they're close enough to the border that they get plenty of people visiting, and they all decide, oh, let's learn English so we can t- talk to these people. They would always throw in the phrases that the audience would know. By Candios, TV's an automatic translator. I like the horses. I don't know. I haven't seen too many westerns, but all the horses were very beautiful too, and they had a a lot of different colored horses and like even the ones like at the yeah. the the hearse the, all decorated up and oh, stuff. Yeah. I thought it was kind of I don't know if anyone else but I kind of find it kind of funny when um when the Steve McQueen character he was coming in and there was just a horse the side I thought is this like the garage for horses like you back it yeah. in and then you park it with like <laughs> Like, I think they call them stables, but yes. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, its horse wasn't even tied to anything. I thought maybe it'd just be walking around. Yeah, yeah there's probably too much risk of the horses escaping. I do not I do not have the horse owner's manual, so I cannot tell you how. <laughs> I think well, the detail we picked up, though. The equestrian, equestrian, I don't know what's the term. Equestrian, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think. Yeah. I, um, I, think I thought the, uh, the backdrop of especially of the small Mexican town with the mountains that was really particularly gorgeous and so did Brian did you say they filmed on location well, so they said, said it on location oh okay oh that's not like the Sergio Leone where they filmed everything in Italy, Italy. Mm. 
Well, th- this one was American. It wasn't a spaghetti western. It was just a straight up western. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. I bet it still has a very similar style. It's kind of interesting how two films made on different sides of the Atlantic still have a very yeah. similar style. Oh, man, that'd be a cool movie if they had done that. Like, Man of No Name meets The Magnificent Three, I guess. <laughs> they actually did, I don't know how, but they have a sequel to this, I think. This did oh. well in the box office. <laughs> and then they have some other Magnificent movie. But to, my, to your point, I don't know how. With Magnificent only three, Seven no. divided by two. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I know we were talking about there's some parallels between this and Westworld, but I thought the little town reminded me a lot of that little town in Westworld. Sweetwater. Mm-hmm. The, that's the name of the yeah. town? I can still remember the music that show. I really liked it. Can't wait for season two. Yeah, yeah, it should be interesting. But yeah, it is. It is pretty interesting. I did pick up. They were very small, very sleepy little town. Except but there was every, no town's too small that it can't have a craps table and some women, women in the uh, casino. Well, I think that was in the western town, right? Yeah, that's yeah. true. When they went to the big city, when they yeah, went to the big yeah, city, yeah. it wasn't really. Yeah, the sleepy city. little town here. Yeah, it was a little different. Yeah, I, I thought that's in, the first scene was interesting where they were um, bringing the the Indian to be up buried. Native Amer- they prefer the term Indian American or Native American, but we get the point. Yeah. Uh, when they have the Native American being brought up to bury, and by the way, that hill was not that big. They made it seem like much more dramatic was, than what it was. They really dramatized that whole thing. It's like, we're just taking the cart up the hill. and They wanted to give our hero a good introduction and... I wonder if that's a product of the 60s, like, you know, obviously... Like it's such a short trip for just... They could, they could have just taken the casket out and carried it up themselves. They didn't really need the, <laughs> the wagon. Yeah. Well, but, you know, they made a big fuss about how, like, they couldn't bury the Native American in the right. cemetery because cool. even though the cemetery was full of, like, thieves and murderers, they were all white thieves and murderers. So, I guess, again, thinking where we're at in history, we're starting to get into, like, the yep. civil rights yes. movement. Yep. You know, it's kind of interesting yeah. that they start to, you know, acknowledge, you know, racism that's right. just right there. Indians aren't necessarily just the, the opponents of the cowboys. Exactly. Yeah. And how they, they kind of almost acknowledge, like, the difference. Like, you know, it almost wasn't based on, you know, that person's character, but literally by the color of his skin. So it was back then. By the way, does passage. anyone remember? Does anyone know what year the movie takes place in? I think it's like the eighteen eighties or something. Cause they had, I don't know if they probably they had the lever action rifles and the. Oh, uh, like if you're a, a mm-hmm. buff history buff, you would know by the weaponry. Definitely. Got mm-hmm. it. So, I guess pivoting slightly, do you think this movie had any influence on like other westerns or even just more modern movies? You see, you know, probably. I mean, discounting the remake, because, of course, yeah. remakes are... I'd definitely say so. I mean, probably a lot of Westerns are inspired by this and the Dollars trilogy because of the different the themes and the characters and all that kind of stuff. I mean, I can't really... I can't name uh, any examples off the top of my head, but I can surely imagine there was a lot of... This inspired uh, a lot of places. Cowboys are out of fashion. Western film. But when we think of buddy movies... I don't think of buddy movies, but... Private Ryan, Save the Private Ryan was the buddy movie companion oh, yeah. to this. Mm-hmm. You know, you just love her, as you said, you're drawn into the five guys, especially uh, Captain. Um, no, it's, yeah, I just right? saw that movie a couple days ago. It is pretty similar. Right. A group of guys that 
ones the, the sharpshooters. Most, most of them die in the mm-hmm. climactic final battle. Right, in the final battle. Trying and I love the guts it. and gore in it. Because there's never much guts and gore There's as much guts and gore as I could get away with in 1960. Uh, blood splatter on the right. clothes. Yeah. Which I just remembered. Somehow the guys, two guys of the Indian, they got shot in the hand and arm and they live, but... They, were, they stood by. It's like, yeah. if I'm getting shot in the arm, I'm going to not stand there. I'm going to go somewhere. Yeah. I'm going to go in the car like, God, no, no, I've been <laughs> shot. That's what I'd do. I'd just mm. be laying on the ground in pain, screaming. Yeah. They took I mean, it pretty... Would that be? Yeah, no, I think, I think Saving Private Ryan is a very, good, a very good... War movie. Uh, well, no, uh, also kind of, kind of inspired by this kind of movie. Maybe it's just Indeed. the way the titles are structured, but I keep thinking of Quentin Tarantino's Hateful Eight. And I actually, oh. as I was watching this, I was thinking, because I know when he came out with that movie, he drew a lot of scenes that were like direct references to other movies. And I was like, man, I wish I had remembered all the scenes, because I bet there's at least a scene or two that was a direct Little reference. Homage. I mean, I, I maybe it's... Uh, I just feel like it can't be a coincidence. Magnificent Seven, yeah. Equal Eight. There has to be some, you know, some influence or some inspiration there. No, probably. Correct. Especially since I, yeah. that's this is I all mean, in he, his wheelhouse too. Exactly, because he takes he borrows liberally from uh, several different genres, including Western. Hey guys, I think I got a leave soon. Mm-hmm. I gotta catch my bus. All right. Um, so we were talking about uh, influence in other westerns movies. Any other? Mm. Direct influences, references you can think of. I guess, um, so I know part of this, uh, what you were thinking, Brian, when you picked this movie was, um, you know, movies that were better the first time. So I guess, have any of you guys seen the remake of this? No, but it was, uh, it, they modernized the, the violence. So I know there's a lot, of the shootout's a lot bloodier and stuff, um, mm. and more over the top with like, they have a minigun and some other stuff, so very, very modern in that sense. So I, I think it still holds up with the again, even just little squibs and blood patches. Mm-hmm. The action was still there, like the guy with the machete grabbed yeah. the guy off the horse. Right. came out nowhere. Yeah. I was like, whoa, they have machetes. <laughs> and then I'm <laughs> popping up from behind the wall to get the guy, the bandits as they're running away. So I, I think it still holds up, and it doesn't need over the top gore. So I guess with other movies that have had remakes. You know, I guess generally what's the rule of thumb? The remakes suck. <laughs> I think so. I mean, yeah. Nate, can, um, yeah, can you name a remake that would improve the original? That's, that's tough. Mm-hmm. That's a good question, yeah. yeah. I, mm-hmm. I can't think of any off the top of my head. But I mean, I think part of it too is, so so I know um, Denzel Washington's the new one, right? Mm-hmm. So, so they included a black guy. They included an Indian, I think, is the knife thrower in the new one. So oh. they definitely expanded the the cast in that sense. So I, I can appreciate, you know, including uh, a more diverse uh, actor base. Mm-hmm. I think, Peter, are there any movies you could think of that remakes that were better? I know. <laughs> I asked myself last night too if I could come up with one. Uh, could be a comedy, could be a love story. Uh, yeah, any movie. I mean, some we talked about prior to, to starting this were um, recently both RoboCop and Judge Dredd were remade. 
And I think, I think this, like those, are a product of their time. So there's definitely this campy 80s quality to both of the original. Yeah. Judge Dredd was early 90s, but it still had this campy, um, not gritty realism quality that I think uh, um, makes them kind of fun to watch versus the, again, gritty who, who modern. Who created Dredd? The... What, what? Wasn't that a black hero, Dredd? No, Judge Dredd was originally Sylvester Stallone. It's based on a comic book set in the oh. future. He's, he's judge, jury, and executioner. Oh. was like his tagline. He teams there up with Sandra a, Bullock to hunt down... Um, there is a Western 19th century guy, though. He's black, and he really rips up things. And I think, is it a Tarantino character? He came out about four or five years ago. And there's no question about justice. He just goes oh, after things. Is this Django Unchained? Yeah, Django Unchained. Yep. Mm-hmm. I never saw it. Is this... It's, yeah, it's a good movie, yeah. Was that about justice, fairness, or just... Uh, yeah, you could say that. <laughs> it was. Oh, so it's, it's set in the... Um, Django and In the uh, South, you know, pre-Civil War, so with oh. slavery. So it's about, um, yeah, you know, a slave who gains his freedom and, yeah. yes, exacts justice. <laughs> okay. Tarantino style. Tarantino style is the best way to put it. I can guess the rest. And it's in the 1800s, huh? Yeah, and I think actually, um, Django and Chain, and if I understand correctly, I think that is meant to be in the same universe as Hateful Eight, or I should say, Hateful Eight is meant to be in the same okay. universe as Django and Chain. I yeah. think initially they wanted it to be like a direct, almost like a continuation, but it didn't work out, so it's just meant to be in the same universe. Though I guess all Tarantino movies are kind of yeah. in the same universe. <laughs> it's kind of like yeah, Stephen King. All of his novels apparently are in the same. Well, yeah, they're, they all take place in like Maine, right? Yeah, well, that and like the Dark Tower makes explicit that all oh, of yeah. all of them are in the same universe. Got it. So I guess um, going back to Magnificent Seven, was there anything else in this movie that you were just taken by or jumped out at you? Hmm. I, mean, I can jump in, but I think it's that body thing. The chemistry worked well. Even though we knew who the boss was or the thinker, Yul Brenner, the other characters just fit really well and were not in conflict for taking over the stage. So I thought it was a great combo that uh, Sturgis put together, casting put together. The rest, I'm sorry to say, the Mexicans were more like props. You know, they're back there, we hear nothing from the women cutest uh, walk-ons were the kids. So this was an American movie, no question. Yeah, I guess it's as we were saying, it's a product of the era. Yeah, yeah. Obviously, you know, the same movie being made today is a lot different in yes. terms of the, the, I guess, sensitivities around all right. the different characters being used. Right. I did, I did like the ensemble cast as well. The one-liners, there's a several good one-liners, like, it's not getting to the cemetery, I'm worried about it staying there. Or, uh, that's the best shot I've ever seen. Best, it was the worst. I was aiming for the horse. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There's a lot of, like, interactions between the, the yeah, protagonists that were... Yeah, you got good recall. Were, like, dry, dry my kind of humor, I will yeah. say. What do you think? Dry my kind of humor is, is, is a lot of the one-liners. <laughs> For me, the thing, and I, I just was taken by, was the costumes. Mm-hmm. I just, I, they were all so very particular, but they were also so, like, at ease. Like, you could see these guys just, like, you know, put these together, these outfits together haphazard, but, like, 
the way they had the gun belts, like, they would all fall at a certain angle, and uh-huh. it was just all, like, kind of very interesting lines and all the different clothes that they were wearing. And it was really the epitome of cowboy clothes mm-hmm. and clothing the way right. we view it. And I guess we were kind of talking about it earlier, the one scene where the, the guy who was really fancy dressed, <laughs> that he went in and his three shots that he... Uh, you know, he only got the bad guys, and you know, I said the the good guys were all wearing white. I mean, I'm sure that wasn't a coincidence that you know the the good the the farmers the peasants were all yeah. wearing white to kind of show their innocence. Mm-hmm. And then you know, of course, when they did get shot, you could really see the red in the well, you know, their fake mm. blood red. <laughs> That's a good point, right? Right. I know they they were the epitome of cool. True unbuttoned the hats. Yeah. I know. Yeah. Got it. Well, so probably coming towards the end of our discussion, was there any last final thoughts? Good movie. I I always had the same complaint. Might have drug a little bit in the middle. I don't know. I don't know exactly what you cut, and it's harder because you got seven characters. You got to get them all. I guess that's a good question. Like, would you recommend this movie? Yeah, I would say. I mean, just based on on the kind of echoes you see of it and other stuff as we discussed earlier and just mm-hmm. general, generally a good cast I would recommend it as well. Uh, no, I think I'd give it a five. Knowing what I know about better film and I'm trying to push myself back to 60s technology. The scenery, the technicolor. Okay, mm-hmm. I'll give it credit for that. Otherwise, I'd put it in the C level. Western films. So I guess, I guess another question is, since it is a direct uh, pull from Seven Samurai, would you just be better off going back to watch the original? Oh, I've yeah. unfortunately not actually seen Seven Samurai, I so I cannot tell you. I should go back and watch that. And uh, I think I think the camera work and, and angles and a lot of stuff that Kurosawa does is more artful uh-huh. than a lot of this. I mean, they did have the really nice views, but it was less technically challenging and just kind of you know, a Hollywood presentation. Mm-hmm. Exactly. I mean, you know, for what it was, it was entertaining. Yes, exactly. Like, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Got it. And Kurosawa pro- and probably had nothing to say about women or children in the camps. He probably got n- no closer. Well, yeah, it's, yeah. it's, it, that's definitely a product of the era. It's, I think it's, you know, as we get further along and, yeah. you know, yeah. different movements Holistic. have more. You know, I think there's a lot of sword play, a lot of blood, from what I remember. Uh, it was a long time ago when I saw that. Okay. Um, all right, so before we go, have you guys seen anything, any any other movies or TV shows that you think you know, people should check out? Oh. I did see It. So speaking of remakes, that might be one that where be the remake one. is better. I did enjoy It. Mm. Um, it's not all jump scares. It had a good mix of, you know, sort of psychologically scary jump scares and levity brought on by the kids, good cast. So I would I'm not sure that. what it says about me that I went and saw Mother, but I won't go see it. <laughs> <laughs> oh. you, you prefer your psychological scaring more than uh, the... Yeah, I mean, Mother is definitely one of those, like, uh, if you are into just, like, messed up movies, like, if you have a high tolerance for that sort of thing, that just kind of, your brain goes in multiple directions, go see Mother. But if you don't, don't, yep. because oh. you will be scarred for it's, life. Well, it's, it's oh, Arnowski, right? So it's, yeah. like, cranked up to 11. Yeah. 
But yeah, I guess, you know, maybe on a second thought, like, um, a lot of this movie did remind me of Westworld. I mean, of course, Westworld is completely different, but a lot of the shots um, did remind me of shots in the, like, Westworld world, so. Mm -hmm. What, uh, for you two that have been in, in, into it for some years here, what, what were some of the best viewings you've had? Not just the movie, which usually sparks good discussion, but the whole night. You had a great night about what here in this group? A great night on, I don't know, you had so much on the web. A great night with... Um, oh, like... Mother? No, mother wasn't a. Uh, it's yeah. Um, but you know, was there any movies that you saw recently that you liked? Well, I. Um, or any movies that this movie reminded you of? Oh, I always see symbolisms, but and parallels, and I, I study it for that. Like, oh, that's where Hitchcock got it, or that's where. Um, Von Strohan got it. Uh, I, I just go to libraries and pick up or on the, uh, you know, people, or not people, the Turner Network, mm -hmm. old things that I should have paid attention to in the past, and now that I'm wiser, I want to see them again. So this month I picked up Vertigo again, and I picked up um, Bonnie and Clyde. Oh, good. And I just look at them and I think about them again. And as I'm older, does the picture change for me? Or is it the same picture I saw at 16 years old? Mm. That's an interesting thought. Yeah, that's mainly where I spend my time. I don't rush out to see something new because I think in time it may have been a waste of my time. Unless it's oh. really someone powerful. That's good, good advice. Mm -hmm. I like that. Mm -hmm. <laughs> All right, well, I think that's a good note to end on. Oh, good. So for, for those listening out there for um, the podcast, um, if you want to keep up with what we're doing, you can follow us on Twitter at Film Punch Meetup. And if you want to give uh, us any feedback or if you have any questions, you can email us um, at filmpunch at gmail.com. And thank you for listening. Thank you, Angela. See Bye. you next time. Bye. Bye. Bye.